stardust and, and tar. Okay. So that's the beginning of the episode, <laughs> by the way. Hey, Maniacs. Hey, Maniacs. Midsummer Maniacs. Midsummer Maniacs is a comedy recap podcast dedicated to the ITV series Midsummer Murders. Each week we dig into the episode of the show, including the murders, the mayhem, the loonies, and everything else we love. I'm Mark. I'm Sarah. And you know who else we love? Who else do we love? All the folks who showed up last week for our live stream. You guys were fabulous. was crazy incredible. We had so much fun. I read the entire chat transcript twice. (laughs) Because I'm a nerd. Nerd. It was so cool, though. Everybody came out. It was super fun. And, man, I think we found more Easter eggs in that episode than the people who wrote it meant to put in. We invented some because we're maniacs like that. Yep. I'm okay with that. We found some stuff. Speaking of. I now know who lost the dog. Who lost the dog? Yeah, on the sign. Oh, you do? Yes, I do. Well, did you see Guys and Dolls is still going? Guys and Dolls. It's the longest running <laughs> show in Costin, I think. We'll that get whole there. last scene is like some Mark service right there. It's yeah. not fan service, it's Mark it's service. specifically for you. They put the bulletin boards in there. Yep. Oh, just a couple of reminders up the top. If you buy anything from the Spreadshirt store, all the profits are going to the world uh, central kitchen. Yes. To feed people who are in the Ukraine and fleeing the Ukraine. If you want to learn more about them, go to WCK.org. They have all the relevant information right up front. People are buying some stuff and it's great. And we're oh. gonna we're gonna match anything that we yep. make off of that before we send it off. So we are selling like hotcakes. It's great. Hot cakes. We do have, you know, some pretty good designs in there, I, I do, do have to say. Think so, but just the- saying. The the Bernie the Badger design is uh, flying off the shelf. Flying off the shelf because it's awesome. It is indeed awesome. Uh, speaking of causes that we care about, it, you know, you guys have passions. We have passions. We share those things that are important to you are important to us. And one of the topics that's come up recently, and some posts that we've received, messages we've received, are concerns about trans people and trans kids specifically. We are parents of a trans kid, and yep. so it's really important to us and. Just just this week, we had a close call here in Indiana where the legislation tried to pass to ban girls, trans girls, from competing in, in girls' sports teams yeah. in schools. And, and the, luckily, the governor vetoed it, but I don't think it's dead. The poor trans woman athlete, college athlete, who won the swimming competition, who basically was isolated. I just felt so bad for her. Yeah. It, it just makes me mad. Yeah. Just be nice to people. Just, just accept people for who they are. It's not hurting you. No. Jeez. Jeez. People got to be so uptight about stuff. Leave people Silly. alone. Just leave them alone. Leave them alone. That's what they do in midsummer. Yeah. You just leave them alone. Leave them alone. Unless they're a killer. Uh, another or thing. Or a comic book artist, apparently. Yeah. Well, well, we'll get there. Another thing that's been taking up your time is. Well, you know me. I get into stuff. I get obsessed with something for a little bit and then, <laughs> then I move on to something else. Yes. <laughs> And I listen to a lot of podcasts. I know I've mentioned that. I listen to a lot of audiobooks and stuff because lately I've been quilting quite a bit. I'm making some quilts for some people at work who are having bibbits. Bibbits. And I started listening to the best podcast that I, I 
don't know how I hadn't seen it before because it's been on for, it's been, um, they've been putting out episodes for a couple of years. Oh, really? So I should have known about it, yes. but I didn't know about it. And so I want to recommend it. Um, it's called The Mysterious Case of Fred the Head. Fred the Head. Which sounds silly. It sounds, okay, this is going to sound weird, but it sounds American, but it's British. It's British. And it's not silly. Unfortunately, Fred the Head is the unfortunate name given to an unidentified body that was found in Burton-on-Trent, which now, is kind of like right in the middle of England back in 1971. If you know this story or know what happens, don't tell Oh, us. there's nothing to give away. Okay. okay. Believe me. But what's so intriguing about it is the host of the podcast, Ken Davies, is not a cop. He's not an investigative journalist. He is a regular guy who moved to this area a few years ago, heard about this case, got intrigued, and when COVID hit, decided he was going to try his hand at a little amateur investigation to at least identify who this victim is so that his family would know what happened to him. And now he's been doing it for two years, and you get to hear the phone calls he makes to people who may have been around at the time that this murder happened, which is in the late 60s. Yep. And you get to hear all the dead ends that he tries and he goes to archives and he digs stuff up and he tries to read newspapers and he wrestles with microfiche and all kinds of stuff. It's if you've ever fantasized about solving a crime on your own, this is the reality of what it would really be like to do it and how hard it is, but also how awesome it is. See, I love I love that we can produce this stuff here. Mm -hmm. We can produce a podcast that people all over the world listen to out of our office in our home in Bloomington. And he can produce that out of his home in England. I, d I just think that, that through distribution and ease of technology now, it's just spectacular. It's crazy. He has phone calls with people who live in Australia and Hamburg and Hungary and all over the place. Because If you would have told a wee Mark that I would have a podcast that spoke to hundreds of thousands of people and not hundreds of thousands, hundreds and thousands, hundreds and thousands of people <laughs> all, all the way over the to world. Abu Dhabi and South Africa yeah. and everywhere else. Yeah. yeah. I, it's amazing. I just would have been absolutely stunned, but I, I just, I have to recommend, I'm going to tell you, it gets a little plodding in places because he runs down every possible lead to its dead end. But see, that's interesting. But I me. think it's really interesting. Yeah. Again, yeah. it's called the mysterious case of Fred the head. I've been listening to it on Stitcher. I know it's available on Apple podcasts and other places, I, I highly recommend it. We have for you today, episode 119, Drawing Dead. I don't like this title. No. I don't like this title. Season 20, episode three. We have four episodes in season 20 left to do. So that's episodes 119. That's this one. 120, 121, 122, and 123. And then we catch up with ourselves. Then we're caught up to the mini episodes. She's going to be weird because we're going to be talking about an episode that we've seen in the mini episode, but we don't talk about it like we've seen it. Oh, it's just so strange. Well, when we covered him in the mini episode, we didn't give away any no, spoilers. No spoilers. Right? So we didn't get to talk about who the killer was or anything like that. And we get yeah. to do that now when we get to those. I think it'll be fun. But we will have to listen to our own podcast before we start recording those because we need to know what we said before. <laughs> yes. Yes, we do. And, I'm uh, so miniature, glad my notes are searchable, I gotta tell you. <laughs> miniature Murders is not the first one of that season. It's mm -hmm. the dancing one. Ah, good. So That'll be fun. Yeah. 
The dancing one was awesome. But this week we get to talk about Drawing Dead. Yes. The comic book convention one. UK broadcast date, 19th of May, 2019. Filmed in May and June, 2017. 4.76 million views. Written by Toby Frow. And, uh, sorry, written by Jeff Pavery and directed by Tony Frow. Right off the bat, I have to say that when I saw this episode for the first time and I saw Bill Bailey, I freaked out. I went total fangirl. Squee! Oh my gosh, it's Bill Bailey! It's Bill Bailey! They so underuse him, and that's okay. He can't be funny. Midsummer's not slapstick. He, But if you've never seen Bill Bailey before, who plays the, the comic book artist uh, Darwin Chipping in this episode, yes. if you're not familiar with him... You need to Google him. Pause us and go search for him and watch some of his comedy. He is so funny. And he's incredibly talented. Oh, my gosh, yes. He's musical and just hilarious. And he was in Hot Fuzz and Black Books and Spaced and, I mean, so many things. Yeah. He's very serious in this episode, but that's the role that they gave him. He is super serious in this episode, but he is – so, the – to me, the quintessential Bill Bailey is the piano episode of Black Books. Yes. It may be the funniest <laughs> half-hour show I've ever seen in my life. It is. <laughs> when, he's, when he's trapped hiding in the, in the piano, piano and he ends up playing it from the inside. <laughs> it's so funny. Just, just think of it. And he's on QI and all that. Oh, yeah. All he's the, great. So he, if you're not familiar with yeah. him, go look him up. Do yourself a favor. Yeah. Put Bill Bailey in your life because he's great. <laughs> he's so great. This is also the episode we get winter cosplaying. Yes. Which is epic, too. It's a comic book episode, but it's a weird thing because they obviously want to talk about comic books mm-hmm. and talk about the genre of comic books and the production of genre comic books and all that stuff. Stuff I'm intimately familiar with. Really? But they can't use any characters. Right, any real comics at all. So in the script, they had at least three characters that they made for the script. Yeah. And then the production department made other characters. Like like the character that Winter is dressed up as, right? That's one of the ones they made up. Yeah. And and everybody is cosplaying as these characters. It's it's really not a convention for all comics. It's a convention for Darwin Chipping's comics. Which he has, the one of the issues has a 48 on it. Like it's issue 48. He has produced a lot of comics mm-hmm. and they're all his. And there's like, I guess he's the sole publisher of these comics because it's Darwin Comics. He should be. Okay, I always say you don't He's get into Stan comics. He's the Stan Lee of Midsummer. Is you, that what you're you, saying? <laughs> you don't get into comics to make money, but he should have more money than he has. <laughs> and you think he doesn't have money because of what? His jacket or what? Uh, well, what are you basing that on? It's weird. like Because you've seen another... Alan Moore. Alan Moore has plenty of money and he still looks like a hobo. That's true. And I think there's a little <laughs> bit of he's supposed to be Alan Moore-like. I wish he was more Alan Moore-like because it would be a more interesting character. And again, if you're not familiar with who Alan Moore is, he wrote V for Vendetta. He wrote Watchmen and lots and lots of other stuff. It's a British comic book writer from Northampton. Who thinks he's a wizard. Oh, he is a wizard. (laughs) (laughs) And looks like a wizard hobo most of the time. He's He is a unique talent who is a weird dude who's awesome. 
Hey, I made it through Jerusalem. Yeah, you his did. longest Oof. novel. I made it through it, and it was so worth it. But yeah, yeah he's hobo wizard Alan Moore. Yeah, and I hope he doesn't listen because he'll get mad and probably curse me from a distance. So these characters are part of something called Fear Zone comic, which yeah, okay. is really the whole all of the characters in this. And there's only a few of them that get named, but they have some interesting names. And I. I scoured <laughs> this episode. I know you did. So the gargoyle character, mm-hmm. which has a black robe and a face mask, right, is actually gargoyle. Oh, that's what the character. That's so Scooby Doo. I'm sorry, it, it's very Scooby Doo. Uh, the character that winters, winter, winter. He's only one dress, season. <laughs> dresses up as. Is Eagle Man, which is clearly a Hawkman reference. Mm-hmm. Then you have the Mighty Anseler. Anseler? Yeah, who is the guy with the blue cape with the white symbol on it, and he has a like a silver mask. Okay, we see a few of those. And then the the yellow suit with the red cross on it, and either the white cape or the coat. That's what Murray dresses yes, up as. Yes, Murray dresses up. His character's name is Doctor Good. Okay. <laughs> We have Forbidden, who is Francesca, the, the character who... Yeah, that he reveals. And then the next kind of most prominent character is a character that looks like Aquaman's wife in yeah. DC. Called, She's got like a latex jumpsuit. Her name is jumpsuit. Mira. She has a green latex jumpsuit. She has With a scales crown. on it. Yeah. She has usually red or light colored hair. On the back of her cape is an octopus. It's a pink cape, and Betty has that exact cape on. Ah. And you see it. And she has power bolts from her hands and some. There, <laughs> there's another guy who is, uh, has a white cape and a silver mask and a gun. There's a cutout of him. And on the back of his uh, cape is M.M., but I don't know anything more he's, about He's Midsummer Man. Midsummer Man. <laughs> there's a, a woman with pink hair who has blades. She's like a... Pink-haired ninja girl. Okay. There's a silver and purple uh, female character, a barbarian princess kind of character. She has a crown. There's a Superman cutout guy that has the Superman colors reversed on it. He's cut out in that you can put your head in his mm. in the picture, but that's the only place he appears on that stand-up. And then we have who I can only call Casino Man. <laughs> who All is the green suits are playing cards. Riddler guy. Yeah, there's a lot of people dressed up like that. That they they made like five or six costumes of all these characters and put the, all the extras in them. I think it, it was great. I think they did spectacularly. Oh, don't forget the two sumo wrestlers that appear in the middle all the time. The yeah. inflatable sumo guys. <laughs> There's always somebody doing that. There's and, a really good scene near the end. It's like an hour and 17 minutes in where Darwin Chipping is sitting, just having a, a cup of tea looking despondent. And there's one of those aqua girls and yep. another girl in orange. And they're like going to approach him. And then the one shoves the other one like towards him and she turns around and she's like, don't push me at him. Oh my God, I'm so starstruck. It's funny. It's funny. There's, you can find a video on Facebook that's posted by the Midsummer Murders people from costume designer Sue Thompson that goes through all this. We tried to get in contact with her and we still might. Yeah. 
I think she would be incredibly interesting oh, I'd love person to, hear to talk what, to. Yeah, what she had to work and with. She, and she, the video I'll post it on in the show notes, she shows drawings and early versions of some of these costumes and talks about, and then she turns around and she has like five of the comic books behind her. I'm like, can I have those, please? I so <laughs> want something from this episode. Gimme, 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 gimme. A couple of the titles of the comics include Stone Cold Heart. That's the one with the the Aqua Woman. That's what we'll call her, mm-hmm. Aqua Woman. Uh, the Birth of Eagle Man and the one with Dr. Good is Bad Appointment. <laughs> and there's a team, which is the Fear Squad. Okay. And the Fear Squad is made up of Gargoyle, Eagle Man, Dr. Good, and Aqua Woman. Okay. That's the four characters that are in the Fear Squad. I cannot believe how much work they put in this episode. They created a universe. They created a whole universe. And most viewers probably didn't even notice it, but you know who does? Yeah. Maniacs. Maniacs. Yep, absolutely. (laughs) Uh, We appreciate you. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) What I don't appreciate is a gigantic flaw in this episode. (laughs) There's a gigantic flaw in this episode that we both noticed right away. Dear listeners, recall back many, many episodes ago near the beginning of John Barnaby's part in the show when he almost first came on and we saw the stairwell in the house that he and Sarah Barnaby have. And in the stairwell were some amazing Superman comic, Spider-Man comic covers in frames that Mark was drooling over. Yep. We have to assume that either Sarah or John were supposed to be into those comics. Well, you see, I think my my reasoning is. And and yet in this episode, John pretends he doesn't know anything about comics. Yes. My reasoning about this episode is this, is that Sarah is the comic book fan because she she has the Spider-Mans at home. She recognizes how good the kids comic is, which I got to say is the best comic in the episode. <laughs> and. Uh, so I think it's, those are her comics. Oh, so then why isn't she excited to be at the con? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Okay. We'll go with it though. Yeah. We'll go with it. So if there's a comic book being produced by a, a super secret comic justice. artist. Aquatus. Aquatus. Which means, yes, it means justice. It's not just justice. It's the Latin concept of justice and equality and conformity. It's. The it's the word that equity comes from. Oh, okay. Right? Okay. Not really justice. It's equity. Yes. It's more fairness than justice, really. Equitus is, is level on the playing field here. And you may think that the kids' comic is the best one. I think that true identity is the best comic in the episode because the illustrations of those six characters are phenomenal. Yeah, they did a they're real, gory as hell, they, but they're phenomenal. They did a really good job. I could not find who did those. I can only assume that Anthony Noble, who's the graphic designer for the episode, drew them. I couldn't find a reference anywhere to another artist who might have done it. I look to, I I think the problem I have is it's not really a comic. It's not sequential storytelling. I know. But but the art is beautiful. It's the finale for Aquatus. So it's not really meant to be a story. Absolutely. So tell me what you thought about the overall setup of FranCon and like the aesthetics of FranCon. They did an excellent job at what a con appears like now, right? When I was a kid, cons were old guys in long boxes selling bagged comics. Yeah. That's what they were. 
Now a con is a whole experience of cosplay and things like lectures and things like whole that. Whole families show up there, panels yep, and yeah. panels and and there are all sorts of weird things like dinosaurs, giant golden women, flying <laughs> booby gargoyles, all sorts of crazy things, right? You had to mention the flying booby gargoyle. So there's a there's a, a shot where it pans past a man using an angle grinder on a giant like scrap metal robot sculpture. Yeah. That sculpture's great. And there's a robot, another robot sculpture in yeah. that area. And it's like an art display. Right. And then it, when it pans around, Timothy Argos kind of walks into the scene and, and we've got a screenshot of this. And above him is hanging this sculpture of this like alien woman with wings that is like 10 feet wide, yeah, probably. It's gorgeous. It's humongous. And it's like a an alien flying. Yeah, and the Comic Cons have these now. They're like photo opportunities. Yes. And but what did you make out of, of her? What She's, the dinosaurs are weird. Yeah. She's weird with the robot. Yeah. The giant golden naked woman is weird. The flying moth multicolored woman is weird. Mm -hmm. But the weirdest thing for the whole thing is why there are gnomes there. There are big gnomes. I don't know why they're there. Because <laughs> they're giant garden gnomes. I don't know either. It's weird. I hypothesized that she was a character from some comic. And so I, I came up with names for her. Oh, you, you, know? you did? Yes. What, what names did you come up with? Um, my first one uh, is Gargoyle McBigBoobs. Gargoyle? <laughs> Gargoyle McBigBoobs. Oh, Gargoyle McBigBoobs. Um, and then I thought, well, maybe she's like, she looks very powerful. She does. So maybe she's like the leader of an alien army or something. So the other one I came up with, General Massive Tits from the planet Gargoyle. <laughs> I gotta say, I like that one. Because <laughs> she's definitely got a gargoyle face, not yeah. a gargoyle face. Yeah, no. But like a gargoyle face. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, I, I, it's like a festival. Yes. Set up. Now, the part of me that is comic book is like, uh, you don't have comic book things outside because it can rain. <laughs> yeah. And cosplayers don't like it when their costumes get wet. And I certainly would. If I went to a Comic-Con they said it was outside, I'd say, thank you very much, but no. I'm not going to bring my stuff to sell. No, my paper comics. Yes. No. And we're in Carver's Valley. It's weird. That's the village? Yeah, the village is like kind of totally forgotten. It's here. it's a couple of very narrow streets is what it is. Yeah. And traffic is not good. No, no. Well, luckily they have sumo wrestlers and the bouncy castle. Mm -hmm. So yeah... I liked they did the signs and everything really well. Yeah. And and I think they they did manage the change that has happened in my lifetime of comic books, right? Mm -hmm. So when I was a kid, comic books were what the old man thought comic books were. A waste of time. Troy's it's, comics. Yeah, it's Troy's comics, <laughs> right? You're a kid if Hawk you Hawkman like or whatever it was that he collected. Mr. The Hawk. The Hawk. The Sorry, Hawk. yeah. All that changed with the Marvel movies in the early 80s and the aughts. Mm -hmm. And now comic books are far more mainstream. More people know about Iron Man and Thor and, and uh, the Hulk than ever before, ever in my lifetime. To go to a... Uh, like an upscale clothing shop and see characters from Marvel on clothing. Mm -hmm. In my lifetime, I never thought I would ever see that. Mm -hmm. 
So I think they've caught that change in comic books really well. And they sort of allude to that that change a little bit when John calls Winter because they've got a case and Winter's like, but it's my day off. And he clearly doesn't want Barnaby to see him in his costume, but then he does. Now, and John says, I didn't know you had a hobby. That, yeah, (laughs) that costume is the best cosplay at the festival. Yes, it is. And he would be attracting attention because his cosplay is so good. When you, you said it was the best Cod's cosplay, you yeah. kind of slipped because <laughs> the yellow shorts are a bit revealing at times. Oh, my, yes. <laughs> I watched a lot of this episode frame by frame, and I... Are you intimate with Winter's yellow shorts There's now? at least one part where I'm like, dude, you're poking out there. <laughs> Somebody get that man some tape. Yep. <laughs> But what a trooper. What an absolute trooper. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I I like that the six-pack or the eight-pack is, like, embroidered into the suit. Yep. But he can wear it. Yeah. He pulls it off. He pulls it off. Just fine. He makes it look so good. So So we've got the Argos and the Starlings, right? So we've got Juno Starling, who's the doctor. Yes. Her husband, Lord Argo, died two years ago, and she married Isaac Sterling, now, who's the d- sheriff, by the way. <laughs> you didn't notice? He's the sheriff. He is the sheriff. Now, I did want to ask you something. So how did they know about Lord Conrad Argo? What do you mean? How do they know? How do they know about him? There, There's... Some information given to them in a way. Well, we see his gravestone, we but Barnaby gra- should know all about it because what murder happens in Midsummer, especially a lord, only two years ago that he doesn't know about already. Exactly. He should know about it. Yes. Oh, well. But there, we learn another way, too. How? Do you remember what they see on the outside of the house? No. Oh, the blue panel. The yes. blue sign. So that blue sign talks about Laura. Argo, okay? So I found a place. Because he was a philanthropist. I found a place that makes these. Oh, yeah, you can get your own. You can get fake ones now. The blue plaque. I think we should make one that says Home of the Midsummer Bees. <laughs> <laughs> and have, like it has, Midsummer County across the Oh, top. yes. We I, have to. I, I think yes. we should. And we have to put it on the outside of our house. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. And then there's an online map of all the blue plaques in the UK. We have to put yeah. ours on the map. Yes, we so do. So there's just one in the US and it's <laughs> ours. We absolutely have to do that. We will do that as we soon as we're done so, recording today. So have to I do am that. on board. <laughs> Death shall not deny thee life is what it says on his gravestone. Yes. It's not it's if it's a reference to something, I don't know what it is. I looked and looked no. and looked. It's not. But it's in quotes. But so we have a woman in bed dying. I wonder how many episodes do we have this at the beginning? A lot, but it's usually an old man. It's usually an old man, but we, we this is a tro- this is a trope. Right? Yeah, and we have this woman Xenia, 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 who comes in and goes, "What's happening?" Yeah, <laughs> and my comment is, "Your shirt's horrible." That's yeah. what's happening. <laughs> I don't know if she's supposed to be Brazilian or Spanish. She's, she's suddenly a golfer and there, then not. There like, are scenes so where she weird. has no accent and then she does. And clearly never used a golf club in her no, entire life. But she has a hat. She does have and shoes. the golf hat and shoes. Yes. Timothy Sterling, Starling, sorry, is putting on Francon. 
He's yes. the organizer of FranCon. Yes. This is its seventh year, mm. sixth year or seventh year? I don't know. How old do you think he is? And when he started? He's 30. You think he's 30? Yeah, I do. Okay. I think he's a late boy. So maybe he's 23. Because his dad just kept him under his heel so and much. How old do you think Stella is? I think Stella's in her mid-20s. So she would be like a teenager when it started. Yeah, but their but parents have only been married for two true. years. Their parents have been only married. They were both grown-ups when their parents got married. And wouldn't they know so each okay other that they in the make village out. already? Yeah. What do you think of that? I don't care. That they're step-siblings and they want to kissy-kiss? I don't care about that. Their in, parents got married two years ago. In this show, they're adult children of yeah. st- of of newly married people. Killers? For yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, go for it. Like, Yeah, why not? I don't care about She's that. She's definitely laying the groundwork. Anything. <laughs> <laughs> so Aquitus calls Tim and says that the... I got your books, man. The comics are in the cemetery. Yep. The, the angel weeps. Yes. How does Aquitus make any money if that's how he distributes his comics? Like, does Tim sell them and pass him the cash back? I literally said, you put those comic books on the ground. <laughs> You're like, oh no, they're going to get wet. <laughs> and then I'm like, there's no one at the con selling this comic book. No, because they don't have it. And then they get burnt, by the way. I don't think that paper would burn. That glossy, shiny paper. Oh, I think it would if you put gasoline on it. If you put gasoline and on it. And it had to have had some kind of accelerant because it goes. Yeah, uh, I guess that's true. But It's a big fire. But yeah, I'm like, uh, how does he make any money? And- See, you're thinking that. When Tim brings the box home and Stella opens it and they see what it is. And all yeah. I'm thinking of is, can I have that kitchen, please? Oh, my gosh. The Starling's kitchen, kitchen yeah. has yeah. a glass ceiling. And yeah. I'm like, it's gorgeous. that's so beautiful. Can it's I have it, so please? Gorgeous. My kitchen is in the middle of my house underneath the second floor. And it feels claustrophobic and trapped. And yeah. it's horrible. And can I have that one? No, we can't have the nope. comics. We can't have the kitchen. Man, nope. life's not fair. And it brings up... They touch on it a little bit here. Uh, the notion of comic book speculation. Yeah, right? about how that limited quali- quantities lim- of them create, make them more valuable. Which was huge in the 90s. Mm. This is, the people who wrote this episode about comics grew up in the 90s around comics. Yeah. like Or the, knew somebody who did and talked to them about it. The characters all seem got 80s good. characters, but the speculation aspect and the way the Equitus comic book looks is so 90s. Yeah. It's it's beautiful. Yeah, it is. I, I think it's absolutely it's gorgeous. gorgeous art. Um, and then so you've already mentioned it. The the comics get stolen and lit on fire. Yes. And I'm like, okay, how does that person know that Tim opened the box, but then just left it sitting on the table? Like this is a comic that they're all like eagerly anticipating, and he just leaves it there without ever looking at it. And well, of course they know because it's Stella. Yes. Right. So Stella has access to glass-cutting lasers? She does. And she also is an amazing artist. The cards she makes for Zinnia mm-hmm. are gorgeous. Her flyers, yeah. And then, by the way, I, I thought I'd let you know, I'm running for sheriff, too. Oh, since are every you? every other character. Wait a minute, so am I. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll vote for you if you vote for me. Okay. Okay. I thought sheriff voting was a United States thing and not a... <laughs> Not it's not. As okay. far as I'll talk, I'll tell you about sheriffs we'll in the there. UK. Yeah. We'll get there. And she, then dra- she draws the last. She at least finishes it. Yeah. And that is a completely different style. Yeah. And she is the greatest artist that we've ever seen in Midsummer. If she's been studying Aquitus's comics, though, 
Maybe. If you're a good artist, you can mimic that style. I could. And he's there next to her telling her what to do, I'm sure, because and he probably Barrett did. would have done it if he could. He probably did some layout. Sketch or something. Sketch or something. Yeah. I love all of the cut scenes where they they do paneling on the screen. Yeah, so. They do a really good job. Not to go to Greenland, but they're called We've wipes. We've been in Greenland <laughs> since the beginning We've been comic this. book Greenland. They're called wipes, and they're they're meant to to look in this case like comic books, right? And actually, Ang Lee used the exact same technique in his Incredible Hulk movie. You need to push your glasses up and go. Um, actually, um, actually, <laughs> nerd alert, nerd alert. <laughs> and so apparently, half of the cost of Nick has chicken pox. How does yes. that happen? I don't know. Get, Are they not get, vaccinated? No, come on. Get vaccinated. Come on. Floor should be mad. I'm, I have a note that says Fleur comes out for a box of bird costumes. <laughs> I don't think Fleur's going to come out for that. No, no. And then Barnaby just walks in the house and starts poking around. Just like do, 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 do. <laughs> and finds Isaac's flyer for his run for sheriff. Yes. Everybody has such nice flyers. The printing company's making lots of money. In I don't episode. know. Ruth's flyers. And his look nearly the same. They're very basic flyers. Basic. But they're not like. The they're not Xenia's flyers. Xenia's Hers flyers are, cool. are beautiful. And <laughs> let's talk about Sheriff. Okay. We keep kidding around. Right? Sheriff. It's Sheriff. <laughs> not Mr. Sheriff Starling. Okay. So here's the, the lowdown on sheriffs in the UK. And you to, get to wear long leather coats. To learn this, I had to horses. go. Hey. To learn this, I had to slog through legislation.gov.uk. <laughs> oh, okay. man. So I read the actual law about sheriffs. Oh, boy. Okay, so here's the lowdown on sheriffs. They are largely now ceremonial, okay? I'm going to tell you what they do now, and then I'm going to tell you what they did then. Okay. All right. Right now, they their jobs are ceremonial. So if there is a royal visit to the county where they are the sheriff... The Lord Lieutenant is the one who arranges royal visits, and they are the the touch point for the Lord Lieutenant. And they would then work with the mayors and the village councils to coordinate that visit. Okay. So they're, I don't know, concierge. And this is after like medieval sheriffs that yeah, were yeah, yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. like Sheriff of Nottingham. That is right. Like a I'm going to talk about that. Okay. The other thing they do is if there is a high court judge who visits their county, they ensure the welfare of the visiting high court judge, attend to them at court and offer them hospitality. Oh, okay. So they take care of judges who show up. Judges and royals. Okay. However, I'm not going to go back as far as you went back, um, uh, back to medieval times, but in modern times, like since the 1930s or 40s, their role was to, they weren't law enforcement, but they did deliver writs. Okay. Okay. And they had responsibilities around writs. And they also attended elections and made sure that they were done safely and correctly. And but, tackle people stealing tickets? Yes. But a big part of what they did with these writs is to hold somebody prisoner for a short period of time. Oh. So they did have responsibilities for like, uh, if there was somebody that needed to be arrested and somebody was coming to get them. They do a masterful job in the writing of this episode to make it look like it's the most important thing to him mm -hmm. and how everyone around them knows how useless it is without saying that. Yeah, yeah. 
But it's still law that the same person can't be chosen twice in three years to be sheriff. Mm. A person who has been sheriff of a county for a whole year shall not within three of the next ensuing years be appointed sheriff of that county unless there is no other person in the county qualified to fill and the office. And it's per county. Yes. So he's like the sheriff of Badger's Drift. Too. He's the sheriff of Midsummer County. Which there's a song right there. Yeah. You would think would be a little more coveted. In and you would think there'd be people running from other villages. I would think it you'd probably have an office in Costa. It wouldn't too. just be Carver's Valley people who compete yeah. to be sheriff. Yeah. If a sheriff's prisoner escapes, the sheriff is liable for the cost to the person who is who the prisoner's crime was committed against. Wow. So if they capture somebody, if Jerome stealing the ticket gets away and Fancon dis- Francon decides to sue, Isaac's good for the money. Now, the most interesting thing I found, okay. and this is the last thing I'll tell you, is that prior to 1965, when the death penalty was abolished in the UK, if you were the sheriff of a county where somebody was sentenced to death, you had to attend the execution. Oh, you had to go. Yeah. Oof. You were the representative of the county. Wow. Who had to go. That's a hard, hard thing to do. Until the Murder Act of 1965. That's what it's called. The abolition of the death penalty is called called the Murder murder Act. Act. Yeah. It's kind of a heavy name. Yeah. They may have even been responsible for the execution in some cases. That's tough. I don't think uh, Isaac would want that job if he still had that responsibility. He's going to get a taser. (laughs) Have no fear, my dear. I'm getting a taser. He is so well-written. He's so brilliant. You sort of feel sorry for him because he's clearly... Trying to when, be important, he wants to be important bench, so he's bad. Pouting so oh my god, well. he's and he knows he's pouting. Yep. He says the next person to break into the house is going to get a thousand volts. And okay, let's just say this: he is culpable in the hurting of Francesca. Oh yes, he's culpable. Absolutely, absolutely. But he protects his daughter. That's what yeah, he, he does. does. Yeah, like he's like, no, I took the jewelry. Well, let's be honest. She was protecting him, so he owes her that back. It's he, not like her horse killed French or put Francesca but, in a coma. But what I'm saying is he's not a criminal. He stalks a woman and brings his daughter along with him. He does do that. That's kind of creepy. Does. It's kind of creepy. And now he does do the thing that you should do when you're getting blackmailed. He goes and tells the cops yeah. right away. Yeah, it was me. I did that. Yeah. But not until he's already decided that he's going to give in. Yeah. So do you think a thousand volts is a lot? It doesn't it also depend on amps? It does. Yeah. It does. A police taser is typically 1200 volts. Okay. What I didn't know is how much higher the voltage is initially, right? So when it comes out of the taser, it's much higher than what it is when it gets to you. Yeah. And it has to be higher to go through clothes and whatever. Yeah. And the distance between the two points of contact that it shoots at you, or, or if it's like a, a prong one that has to touch you, the distance between them means that the voltage has to be higher to bridge that gap. Mm-hmm. So if a police taser is 1,200 volts, how many volts do you think an electric eel is? Oh, it's like five or 6,000, isn't it? It's 700. Oh, I was completely wrong. Yeah. Yeah, it's only 700. But a static shock, how much do you think that is? Oh, like when you get from your socks rubbing on the carpet. 50. 75,000. How, how does this work? But it's at microamps. It's at microamps. Yeah, so like an electric eel 
is 700 volts at one amp, okay. right? But an electric shock is 75,000 at a microamp. Which is a thousand A thousandth of yes. an amp. One one thousandth of an amp. So that's the difference. So, you know, if you put a battery on an eel, they're trouble. <laughs> they're real trouble. Or if you, you know, touch a bunch of them together and then touch you with them, you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but like those police batons, uh, police tasers, they start out at like 30... 30,000 to 50,000 volts wow. coming out of the gun. And then by the time they touch you, it's down to 1,000 or 1,200, something like that. That's enough to knock you down. Yeah. And absolutely. incapacitate you. And somebody's going to let Isaac own one? I don't think so. I don't think so. He's going to keep it in the holster on his hip and be like, flip it out. Yep. Like, I'm going to get you. I'm surprised he doesn't wear a cowboy hat. He's too busy being, you know, fancy gentleman of the countryside in his tweeds. Too. I have two questions next. Hmm. First, what do you think the stand-up budget was for this episode? And two, what was the name of the poor intern who had to keep moving them around <laughs> so they're in the background of every shot? And by stand-up, you mean the life-size cutouts? Yes, yes. those life-size cutouts of Bill Bailey. Don't drag it. Pick it up. They're larger than life size. When he's on stage and they're on either side of him, they're taller than the, he is. The best part is they're in the costume he's wearing. Wearing the right same now. outfit. Yeah. yeah. Like he only has one outfit. Yeah. So Francesca's in a coma and has been for two years since Isaac's horse kicked her in the head. Yes. She was an unpleasant lady to begin with, apparently. She apparently was a supermodel of unpleasantness. She and her brother, Lord Argos, were both apparently pretty miserable human beings i wanted to see and it's tough because then you have to pay the actor but i wanted to see a scene where he was being mean to to uh, tim to tim yeah just to get a sense of who he was yeah i think we've seen that enough in other characters we know what it looks like to have a belittling father you know yeah but those two were toxic apparently yeah and she wore way too much jewelry if she could have a whole bag of jewelry on at once, that's too much. Too much. Way too much. Of course, her comic book character has a thigh holster full of syringes. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, you can run and kick wearing six-inch heels with a thigh holster full of syringes. That character reminded me there's a, there's a character in Marvel called Typhoid Mary that's kind of the same character. <laughs> this lecture, which... It's, it's not, not a lecture. lecture. It's an announcement. Second, there are empty seats, okay? And there are people standing in the background. Mm. They could have easily sold 200 more tickets. It's a small marquee. Yep. There's not enough room in there. And 50, buck, 50 pounds a pop is insane. <laughs> Literally insane. To hear the fact that Darwin you go, here's my new character, the end. You mentioned tickets because Jerome, the kid, yes. wants a ticket. Doesn't have the money. What do you think of Winter being behind him going, I have the right change and buying the last ticket out from under that kid? I thought he said, I have the right change so that he could give the I did too the first time. To the kid. And, uh, I thought he was going to give him the extra couple of bucks he needed. Yep. Instead, he buys the last ticket and saunters off. When, I, I feel bad that Barnaby took Winter's ticket and then I remember that part. And then and you're I'm, like, yeah, you don't deserve it. No. Took it from that kid. Poor kid. Oh. He was, he, I mean, he had like pound coins. Yeah. He clearly he had been scraping together. Scraping together. Where, and where did Winter keep his money, by the way? I, well, he had lots of little pouches. Oh, that's right. Okay. And well, the big pouch at the front. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then, then that kid, if 
if any kid that age, because he's high school age, mm-hmm. handed in that comic book, even just the pages we saw, and understood that story as more than what it was, okay, you get an A yeah. in, in a number of courses. Yeah. He was far beyond his years. Yeah. He's doing a good job. Yeah. I love that Darwin sits down across the street from the crime scene and is sketching. Yes. <laughs> because he's both writer and artist. Yes. And Tim comes along and says, I don't know if that's appropriate. And he's like, we never let the muse pass you by. That's just how it is. So we get to the first murder of Francesca. Mm -hmm. She is unplugged. Yes. So that is upsetting at first. And then her breathing tube is ripped out of her. I know. And there is a hole in her neck. Like, I don't want to give her dead body because I think that the other dead body may be better. Mm. But- dying body she's really good and that makeup is super good i was like where did they find an actress with a hole in her yeah really and uh initially you think that the killer is gonna shove the comic in into the stoma in her neck yes i was like you can't roll it up tight (laughs) enough like oh my god that would hurt so bad like don't worry i know i pulled your breathing tube out but i'll give you a new one here you go It gets shoved into her mouth, right? Because she's starting to wake up. She just happens to start to wake up after two years in a coma. Yeah, and her fingers start to move. (laughs) And then Bob's your dead auntie. Yes. (laughs) Floor is so awesome. (laughs) Floor, who has no time for comic books. No, none. like, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) So the comic has six people in it, the True yes. Identity comic. It yeah. has Ruth Crane, who is Dr. Juno's receptionist. Yes. The who, witch. The witch. I don't know what she did to get that. I don't know either. Darwin Chipping, the thief and plagiarist. Timothy Argo, who is spooked. Yep. Murray Eckbeer, uh, who runs a buy and sell shop and is humiliated and pitiable. Isaac the Vampire. And Zinnia, the killing golf player. The pages for Zinnia are particularly gory. Yeah, she's like whacking the crap out of Francesca. Her eyes are red. There's blood splattered everywhere. Yep. Woo! Man, I don't know why we have to care that Barrett is a fisherman, but everybody seems to want you to know that he's a fisherman. Well, that's where he was instead of making his comic. Yeah. That's where he's supposed to be, but we know he can't. And so he just goes to the fish shop and buys a fish. Yeah. And Zinnia cleans that fish. And he's not. In the grossest way possible. Oh. And she's not smart enough to know. That that's a pollock and they come from the ocean. And that he's not smart enough to order only freshwater fish. (laughs) He just didn't care, I guess. He, Never she, mind, he has a $5,000 printer. Where I did know. he get the money oh for that? Oh my gosh. Well, yeah. she says over and over again that he doesn't notice her. So maybe he just doesn't put enough thought into trying to fool her about where he was. He just doesn't care that much. This is another example of who runs this freaking cafe. Oh, nobody. Stella is the only person we see working. Yeah. And, and she's barely there. And it's full. A couple of times we see it, it's full. Yeah. Who, who? There's just unnamed people who work there and who are responsible and do their jobs. I guess so. And sit in the, the storeroom and listen to gossip. <laughs> what did you make of Murray and Bluebell? Well, Murray Murray's a sad character because mm. Murray is 
both he's the outside looking in character, right? Mm-hmm. He's he wants to be sheriff, but he can only do it through blackmail. And I think he feels guilty about that. He also has a horrible relationship with Bluebell, Eckblad, or whatever her name is. Eckbeer. What? Did they not, like, did they spin badly on the name <laughs> wheel that day? They had the Scrabble tiles out, and they just made the best name they could out of the letters they they I just want to be like, that's an inappropriate name for that character. And she is, at times, the doting girlfriend, and then suddenly she's out of there. And you don't see any sign of her and Barrett making googie eyes or anything? I didn't notice that. Why did they want to go to Egypt? I don't know. My niece, Maybe because they heard Fleur went there and she had such a good time. My niece worked in Egypt teaching English and gym. Her and her husband lived in Egypt for like three years. They had to live in a, count, a compound the whole time mm-hmm. to have any sort of freedoms as a woman, right? Because it's a Muslim country. Yeah. Why would you go there? I don't know. I don't. When he supposedly had a whole bunch of money to, to get a rent on a condo for three years. Why do you... The Egypt thing, I was just like, what? (laughs) So then Murray finds out about all this, and he has his little temper tantrum. Oh, and he says, I'm I'm not anybody's hero. I feel so bad for him. The whole scene in the marquee at the end with Murray and... And the lightsaber. (laughs) Murray and the lightsaber. And when Juno tells what happened, Mm. and Tim's there, that is really well lit. And really sad. It's claustrophobic in that yeah, marquee. They they move closer and closer to those characters, which to my chagrin, because I was like looking around in the background <laughs> trying to find out Dr. Good's name. <laughs> There's two pinball machines in that nerd marquee. Alert, nerd and alert. I can't Oh, find... they just crammed that tent full of nerd things. Oh. Like here are geek things. Put the, put it in there. I looked at 5,000 pinball machines today to try to find that pinball And they machine. put sound effects of, of video games in the background, yeah. though you don't see any arcade no, machines. There's one arcade machine. Okay. There's it's, two pinball machines. It's going blip, blip in the background. one arcade machine. Yeah. And then there's mom, mom, I got a part. Mom, mom. Well, there are a million mom, mom, I got a part here. Okay, but my favorites are the grave diggers. The Why? Okay. I have such a problem with the grave. The grave digging... That's not how you dig graves. <laughs> and the fact. <laughs> they stand around in their blue suits and smoke and look at people. <laughs> that Stella is covered to her face in dirt. Good, almost dead body yeah. there. And then she gets pulled out of the hole. She's completely clean. Yeah, well, come on. She couldn't be dirty. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Those two dudes are in the background of like three scenes yeah, and they're just eating the scenery in the background. They're fantastic. I could not help but watch them. I just, because one of them's like leaning on the shovel, looking snarky all the time. The other one's actually doing some work and then they swap for the next scene and then they swap back. It's like the cleanest de- uh, grave ever. Yeah. Like, the dirt is just pristine. Oh, it's, it's potting soil. Yeah. It's even got the little white pellets in it. Yeah. Yeah. But they find the SIM card at the cemetery and the grave diggers are in the foreground and the Sako suits are in the background yes. digging through the grass. And they get to stand in the front going, what do you think they're doing? I don't know what they're doing. Like they're just standing over there. Did you see what were in the previous issues of the comic book? Mm-mm. That So Winter holds it up. Mm-hmm. There's a goose attacking a young man. 
and there's a charwoman who's like she has a rolling pin and she's waving it at a, a guy on a, a hunting guy on a horse. And then also in the print shop, there's a picture of a policeman surrounded by sheep. Are you talking about Barrett's office? Yeah. That's got to be a hot fuzz reference. I th- The whole thing <laughs> feels like hot fuzz. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, boy. So then Barrett gets killed. Yeah. Right. So Barrett is Aquitus. He's been drawing the comic the whole time. And this was going to be his last issue because he and Bluebell were going to run off to Egypt together. And so he's getting his comeuppance against everybody in this last issue. He can't draw it. So Stella has to help him because he has arthritis too bad to draw it. And I I love that Winter says, I tried to draw one time and I got repetitive strain injury right away. Wait a minute. We're missing an important part about people who draw. Did you see Ruth Crane's work? No. She's drawing a house on a little pad of paper that looks like a five-year-old kid. (laughs) It's like the square house with the door and the window and the triangle roof. I'm like, Ruth Crane is no artist. Your doodles are bad, lady. Maybe that's why she just went into the print shop and said, swap my face out for Isaac's and give me the same flyer he's got. Yeah, like, wow. Her drawing is horrific. So Barrett has a secret bank account that hit all of his mom's money from being in Savoir magazine as a model. Savoir is not a magazine, by the way. No. Savure is a magazine. It's a food magazine. The food magazine. And then there's Savoir Faire magazine, which I think is what they're making a a copy, a play on. But those magazine covers up on the wall above her bed are well done. Yeah, they are. I think they did. Everything is well done. Oh, yeah. They got all of our notes about things in the background not being well done. Barrett kind of teleports all over the village. Did you know? He does. Yeah. He kind of blip blips and he's here and he's there. Does what he wants to. So he gets killed. He gets the, the paper cutter, paper cutter in the throat. Yeah. How strong is Juno? She's strong. (laughs) Because man, to be able to do that, I think you, I don't think you have to be that you, he leans back in his chair. She grabs his hair. Pulls him in, pushes it down. There would be blood shooting. Oh my gosh, it would be so bad. It would be so bad, but it's such a, I'm not going to say it's a good way to kill him, but it's a a midsummery way to kill somebody for sure. So there's a flashback to the night that Lord, what's his name? Argo. Lord Argo died. And there's a grate around the fireplace. Mm. And on that grate can only be described as a ninja cat. What? It's a cat. It's clearly got a tail and cat ears, but it has like a sword. Okay. It's, it is the weirdest. Is it like the Argo coat of arms? I missed this. No, no, it's not. I'll put a picture in the show notes. (laughs) I'm just like, is that Ninja Cat Fire Grate? (laughs) Which I was like, that's a cool band name. Uh, Ninja Cat Fire Grate? Yeah. See, now, and I didn't see it during the episode. I missed yeah. that. So in my head now, it's like Hello Kitty on the fire grate <laughs> with a sword. <laughs> Which is not very Lord Argo, but, you know, to each his own. No, whatever. no, it's there. Wow. Isaac's tantrum is perfect. Yes. When he's sitting on the bench in the village green in his tweeds with his horse having a big pout. Yep. And he says, this village is really going to miss me. <laughs> no, they're not. Not at all. This village is really good against me. <laughs> He's just so perfect. Yep. And then, you know, he has to admit because Fleur finds Stockholm tar. Okay, wait a minute. 
How did no? Did they exhume for it? No, because Francesca's not been dead for two years. She just and died. The Stockholm car could not have been her head <laughs> for two years. It has been. It's been stuck on her head for and two years. She's like, well, we have better technology now. I'm People like, in comas don't get good see bads. into the past? It, it was embedded in the head wound. Did you see the CT scans on the screen behind Floor when yeah. she's talking? Where Francesca's head is just empty? Yes. <laughs> I mean, she was a jerk, I guess, but I think she still had a brain. Like, if she had no brain left, what were they? why were they keeping her alive? She had no hopes. Her head was just empty. And then Sarah and... My entire life has fallen apart. Let me clean these plates. Yes. What the hell are you doing, Juno? Well, some women do that. When they stress out, they clean. They polish, they clean, they try to put things in order. I think that you can relate to that because you sort of do that too. But... When you get stressed out, you clean stuff. But it's weird. I was just like... And all of a sudden, she's the help. Yeah. Like polishing the silver and stuff. Yeah. So Sarah and John are in the yard and they're talking about Jerome's comic and she calls him a Philistine. Yeah. Do you know where that comes from? Okay. That's from the Bible. The Philistine people are yes. referenced in the Bible. Yes. yes. But calling someone a Philistine, meaning that they're uncultured. Do you know where that comes from? No. This is fascinating. Okay. All right. Welcome to Sarah's Nerd Corner. Okay. We've been in Mark's nerd. We're we're in Mark's nerd house. <laughs> yeah, we're in the town of Mark nerddom. But over here in my corner, let me tell you about Philistines. This is fascinating to me. Okay. Okay. 1689. Okay. All right. In Germany, a town called Jena, Germany, there is a riot between some students at a university and the townies. Okay. All right. Yeah. People died. Lots of people died. Yes. Okay. And then this guy who was the ecclesiastical superintendent gives a sermon about the riot. I think he's wagging his fingers at everybody. Mm -hmm. And he uses the term philister in German. Yes. Philister being a term for people who are uncultured. Yes. Then Matthew Arnold translates this sermon and turns philister into philistine okay and since then philistine has been used to refer to people and what year is this uh 1689 okay since then it's been used to refer to people who have social class hostilities or um are uh, anti-culture philistine yes that's been around since 1689 wow and we're still using it well i always knew it as a bible word but it's a town versus gown thing. It's That's a, what it is. It's a town versus gown thing. Yeah. yeah. It's it's well, some minister people. wagging his feet his finger at the townspeople saying Philistine. You guys are ruffians. And yeah. he calls them he calls them ruffians. And then Matthew Arnold, I think, sort of mistranslates it. Yeah. Kinda. I may have used that word to describe town people in my <laughs> town. <laughs> Not in Bloomington. Not Bloomington. No. The here town we, I grew up. There really isn't a lot of town versus gown here. No. Which surprise, it's surprising, but yeah. So then we have an actual comic book reference to Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Yeah. And Winter says, I'm, I, I'm your I just want Jack to say Kirby, Stan Lee. that Stan Lee and Jack Kirby's life has been troubled with ownership and legal issues and all sorts of things. They were both incredibly creative men. They both worked really hard and they both created amazing things. Okay, let's talk about the string of crimes that have happened going back two years and who did what. Yes. Because it all gets unraveled. Yes. All right. 
So it starts with Isaac being creepy and riding his horse past Juno's house. Now he loved her. Okay. And yes, it's creepy. Mm -hmm. Sort of. Sort of. Like, like, it's not a big village. I'm sure he went by. I only say it's creepy because he's creepy. Because I find him creepy a bit. I think he only went by her house just because he could feel a little closer to her. Right. And brings his daughter. He brings his daughter and he's not luring in the windows. No, he's not. Yeah, he's not trespassing or anything. Yeah. Okay. So... So they're riding, then Francesca, the evil Mr. T model, in all of her necklaces, comes up. And she knows right away what's going on. Yeah, she's like, I'm going to tell my brother. And his horse goes, "Uh uh-uh, and kicks her in the head. Boom. But the horse is spooked by what's going on in the house. Right. (laughs) I I gave the horse some credit. For not liking Francesca, of having a good judge of character and kicking her in the head. That's good. But it was just startled by the sound from inside the house. Yes. Okay. So it kicks her in the head and then Stella comes along and Stella's like, oh my gosh, what happened? And they get off the horse and they check her and she's alive. And she says to her dad, Isaac, you get out of here. I'll cover. Now we have to assume that Cam was the coroner at the time. Mm -hmm. And Cam is smart enough to go, that's a horse hoof. Plus, there would have been horse hoof prints all over that scene. Oh, my gosh. That pea gravel would have been so clearly trodden yep. by horses. Okay. Yeah. So, so Stella takes Francesca's jewelry off of her to make it look like a burglary. And she is in love with Tim and knows Tim needs money because yeah. Fran Con is, which wasn't Fran Con at the time, is going under. Right. And Francesca also oozes stardust out of her forehead. Yes. <laughs> And Stockholm tar. Yes. You know, it's just an endless supply of tar (laughs) coming out of her head wound. Stardust. Stardust and and tar. Okay. So that's the beginning (laughs) of the episode, by the way. So then Stella sells the jewelry to Murray. Yes. And Murray keeps her secret. He does, but he also keeps the jewelry. He doesn't sell it. Why does he keep the jewelry? I don't know. He should have fenced it. He didn't. Whatever. And how did he get the money, to, enough money to save the festival? I know. It would have been a lot of money. It would have been a huge amount. Because Francesca was wealthy. We can't think that she had on cheap jewelry. No. Right? He shoves it all in a bag. He keeps it and puts it in a dresser somewhere that then Bluebell turns over and finds it later. Anyway. Yeah. Meanwhile, in the house, two years ago. Yes. Timothy grabs a fire poker and beats his dad to death. Because his dad is a jerk face. With the cat ninja grate. With the Hello Kitty grate. Yep. And Juno comes along and goes, oh, no, I have to cover for my son and keep him safe. I've got to pretend that we've been burgled, right? That when they first showed the flashback without Tim in it, mm-hmm. I was like, she's a doctor. Why yeah. is she not in? <laughs> Helping her husband. Yeah. <laughs> so she's, she says, Tim, run away. You weren't here. Which the two of them, especially, like there needed to be a moment of... Stella seeing Tim leave. Maybe. I don't think that she would have liked that. If she thought Tim killed his dad, I don't think she would have gone for that. I'm not the person who I think I am. What? Oh, we're never coming back to that line. But I'm not going to tell you that until after I kiss you. Yeah. Now that I've got you, you kissing me, I'm going to tell you, by the way, I'm a murderer. Tim runs away. I'm going to go self-defense with Tim. I don't think so. His dad didn't attack him. We don't know. He said, I had the fire poker in my hand before I knew it. Now, was he traumatized? Was he abused verbally by his dad? Yes. The very least. Probably physically, too. 
I'm, I think he has a defense. Yeah. But the fact that he kept it secret for two years and his mom covered for him, probably not going to be helpful. And it must be horrible for all these people who said how great a man he was. Oh, they just, Ruth hero worships yeah, Lord Argo. They must have just wanted to kill him over over again every yeah. time they heard that. Yeah, because they know the truth about what he was really like. They know the truth. And I think he was, I think he was rough on Juno too, because she says he was a oh. bully. Yeah. He was mean. He was a bully. Oh, I totally think so. So I wouldn't be surprised if she had been abused a bit too. Which I don't think Isaac was. No. I think Isaac loved her. Yeah, I do too. I think he's an idiot, but I think he's genuine. Yes. Right. Okay. So Tim runs away. Juno says, we got to make this look like a burglary. So she goes outside, breaks a window, and then calls for the police and then finds Francesca. It's the worst Socko in the world because any Socko would have been able to figure this out. Like, where was Barnaby? Was the B team on this? Was the C team on this? I don't know. Those people in the background at Cost and Nick, they were assigned this. The sheriff of the county gets killed. Yeah. And they don't put Barnaby on that case. Maybe he was on vacation. Maybe. Right? Okay. Then two years pass. Francesca moves her finger. Yes. Oh, no. Yes. Right? Barrett, her son, goes running around saying, my mom's awake. My mom's awake. Phones Juno. Phones Juno. But Juno sees him running around looking happy because she's stuck in traffic. So she goes in, unplugs Francesca, pulls the ventilator tube out of her throat, shoves a comic book in her mouth to shut her up because she would have known who the killer was. Yes. Because Juno thinks Tim hit her too. I don't know. She must. Maybe. Because she doesn't know about Isaac and his yeah. good good character judging horse. Yep, she has to assume. She must think that Tim hit Francesca too. Yep. Right? Like on his way out, he whacked his aunt in the forehead and with, then ran away. With his horse hooves. Yeah, well, you know. He's Boys been, do. He's been cosplaying as a human all this time. <laughs> <laughs> he takes his gloves off and he's got hooves in the front, right? Those gentry, you never know. And I'm not the horse you think I am. <laughs> So Juno, as a mom, thinks her son killed his his father and put his aunt in a coma. Because if she wakes up, she can say, I know what happened, right? So she's got to go. And then Barrett... Figures it out because of the kerchief. Figures it out because he sees the handkerchief that Juno had that she used to wipe off the plugs for the ventilator. Yeah. And he recognizes it and says, I know what you did. Yeah. So then he's got to die. Yeah. It's so confusing. And then she doesn't like the sibling, step sibling on step sibling action. And so she. That's not why she needs to kill Stella, because Stella helped draw the comic and Stella's been listening from the supply room and Juno thinks she knows. Yeah. So she's got to go. Yeah. She's not very thorough at killing Stella. No. Like she tasers her and then doesn't re- even bury her alive completely. Well. The grave diggers are coming back. Well, that's true. Yeah. They doing, might. doing their little moonwalks in the back. Yeah. They're like, do, do, do. We're so cool. No, she gets run off by some cosplayers running through the cemetery yep. giggling <laughs> in the background. Um, and so she doesn't do a thorough job of killing Stella, I guess. Yeah. So who's the most at fault? I mean, it's got to be Juno because she kills basically in cold blood, dressed as Gargoul. Yes. And Tim... Where is she keeping that costume, by the way? Like in her bag, a mask and a big black cloak that she can just whip on at any time. And it is taser. a great, it's a great strategy because there's a bunch of people dressed just like that. Yes. It's, it's a perfect cover, right? It is That's the smart. perfect cover. But 
Yeah. I, I mean, it's, I want to see her with the mask like half on. Yeah. But I mean, it's premeditated for sure. Yeah. It's not even a murder of opportunity because she's got a costume ready. Yeah. Unless she slips into the con and buys it and then goes into Francesca's well, house. Well, Murray's and goes, shop does sell costumes. <laughs> and other random crap. <laughs> lots that are of, not comic book related. Lots of other random stuff. Giant Betty Boop statues and a statue of Opus too. And we also learn that the character that they've not been able to identify in the Aquitus comic is Argo, is Lord Argo. Why is he in the comic? I don't Other than know. to be a kerchief. He, I think he's there because Barrett doesn't know that he was horrible. Yeah. But wouldn't he if he was his uncle? I would think he so. He would know he was horrible, right? I think so. I would think and so. Certainly her mother, his mother would have said she was horrible. He doesn't seem to think Francesca's bad. No, no, but like, I'm sure Francesca said that her brother was horrible too. Or was like, we're both horrible. <laughs> right, brother? <Yeah. laughs> we're both evil, you know? Well, she oozed stardust. <laughs> I want to know what she oozed stardust out of. Her head wound. We already covered that. It's the best Bill scene. He does a good job there. Yeah, yeah. He he, and he's obviously... Obviously, he said, I want to do some more dramatic acting roles. What can you get me? Mm. We can get you a Midsummer. Okay. Cool. Or I like Midsummer. I, I would gladly do a role in Midsummer. So. You know, I mean, he does a good job at it. You got to be like, the thing is, as a British actor, you got to, it's like time that you got to do. Yeah. Right. But also, I'm sure everyone goes, were you the murderer? Because <laughs> he's a big name guest star. Yeah. And he wouldn't be able to tell anybody what the episode was about between nope. shooting it and it airing, right? Nope. So the, the the confrontation scene, I think we get some foreshadowing of the future. Okay. Because Barnaby says to Tim, it's what parents do. They keep their children safe at all costs. Yes. And my mind just flashes back to Betty sitting yes. there in her villain costume. Yeah. Well, no, she's not in a villain costume. Oh, she's in a hero costume. Yes. But still, Betty's missing a lot, isn't she? She is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just saying. Just saying. Barnaby figures it all out. And Stella meet, gets saved. They meet at the marquee and Stella gets saved. And, and there's a poster because there's a, it's like the last scene is like, here you go, Mark. Mm -hmm. We've had this whole episode for you. Mm -hmm. And now here we go. Because not only do we get guys and dolls, we also get uh, the brand new show at the Costin Theater, Laughing Out Loud. I don't know Whatever what that, that is. is. And the Lost Dog is owned by Mary Fox. How do we know that? Because her name and phone number are at the bottom of that sheet. But she still hasn't found him. Still has not. He's been gone him. for years, Mary. And then, He's not coming back. Then they do the neat thing where they talk a little bit about fiction and Barnaby and Winter turn into the comic. Yeah. I think that's I like true. that a lot really at neat. the very end. Yep. It's good. It's great art. Mm -hmm. They do a great job. And it doesn't really look like them, but no, it's close enough. It's close enough. All right. Best corpse. Nice corpse. I got to go with Barrett because <laughs> he's it, got a giant paper guillotine in his neck. The neck special effects for this episode are all good. It's all necks all the time. All I agree. All it's really good. Yeah. I, that's who I would have picked too. I also think a doctor would have killed him more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> like, isn't she know that if she pulls the plug, that's still not going to kill her? Like, why not give her an injection of something? Because she can't do anything that only she could do. I suppose. Right? If she if she drugs her, then who's got access to drugs? Yeah. The doctor. 
Yeah. Right. She should have made it look more like a crazed comic book fan did it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really understand why she dressed up in costume while doing that one. Because Francesca's bedroom looks out over the con. Oh, okay. I can see that. If anybody saw her in there, they'd know exactly who was in there. But what about Barrett's little hut of comicdom? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. All right. After the credits. Uh, and how does she turn off the power selectively in Barrett's little room? Because the lights flicker, but his computer's on. Magic. <laughs> well, he's got his computers plugged into a UPS. He's not going to let them go down in the middle of creating art. Come on. I guess not. You got to be able to save before it goes down. I guess. Please. All right. What about Best Corpse for you? Oh, it's Barrett. And no I, doubt. I would say a close second is Stella. Like in, Stella's pretty good death, grand. but Barrett's Best Corpse. Yeah. 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 All right. After the credits, Darwin's going to make a new comic about winter. And he's going to, like, he's making tons of books, mm. you know? Like, and Darwin doesn't do anything wrong in this episode except for maybe mine his own memories of somebody for stories. Which, if he's going to prison for that, they might as well take every fiction writer yeah, of all really. time. Yeah, really. And he seems to have genuinely appreciated Francesca in a way that they make look like fandom in an in a good way. What? In a, he it, makes her look like no, a no. druggy addict crazy woman in his comics. She's got syringes on her thigh. Okay. What I meant was like in a fanatic way. Like if you're fanatic about how she was a drug user and like a prostitute looking lady. Clearly he has a, a different She's view. like in the bathroom in the background, sprawled yeah. out like she's OD'd. Yeah. It's, it's not very flattering. Strange. Yes. But poor, he did get her necklaces exactly right. Poor <laughs> poor Stella. Yeah. He's so screwed up. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think Timothy's gonna do much jail if he does, because he yeah, like we said, I think he was a bit traumatized by a very abusive yeah. dad. And I think Juno's going to end up taking a lot of the heat. Yeah. So I don't think he'll be gone for long. And I think he's actually kind of a good person. I don't, I, I think they're fine together. So also, she's going to wait for him. I, I also think that Isaac is not going to go to prison either. Uh, probably not. He's probably got connections. If it well, were me or you, we'd probably do a couple of years for not admitting to what happened, Maybe. even though it was an accident. But his daughter would do the same. Yeah, again, I think he's going to take the heat off of her and yeah. not let her look bad. Murray's not going to do any time for... No. Because he, he didn't even sell it on. All he no. did was buy it, yeah. right? Yeah. You think Zenny is going to stay running the cafe? Or is she just going to be like, okay, I've got all this money, I'm out of here. Yeah, she's going on tour with the LPGA. <laughs> she's out of there. <laughs> And Jerome goes on to make comics, I think, with uh, Darwin's company. Yeah, I can believe that. Yep. Yeah, maybe Darwin becomes more of a human after all this. He's a bit stuck up of himself by for quite a bit. He is, but he made like he can still be a human. Of pages of books and stuff. Yeah, like but it. you can still be nice. No, I realize that, but this whole convention is a celebration of his work. Exactly, like, which is why he shouldn't be being a jerk. He should be more thanking of people. Yeah, he should be more appreciative. Yeah. All right, are you ready? I don't think you can be ready because I have horrible movies for you. This movie is terrible. Ha, I bet Mark's seen it. The crowd is going wild now because they love the horrible movies. Oh my gosh. Okay. I was spoiled by choice. Okay, this week. spoiled by choice. I have three. I could have had five. Okay. I picked the best three. Okay. 
And you told me you picked one that you couldn't pick because we'd already picked it. Oh, yeah. Um, Heather Wright, who plays Francesca, she was in a movie called The Death Wheelers. Yep. Which we talked, we talked about, about in, in season 10, episode 7, about a motorcycle gang being led by a Satanist. Led by a satanic mom. Yep. <laughs> Oh, no, the three that I have for you today are much more recent than that 1973 movie. The first one is from 1997, and Nicholas Farrell is in it. He's the one who plays Isaac uh, Starling in okay. this episode. Well-known British character actor. Yes. He's been in Midsummer before, hasn't he? Yes. Okay. Yeah, he was also in Strangler's Wood. All right, so here is the yes. synopsis of this awesome movie. Are you ready? Yes. An environmental activist attempts to stop a dastardly villain who imports alligators from China in order to slaughter them for their meat in the U.S. What? <laughs> you heard me. It stars Antonio Far Fargas, who you know as Huggy Bear from Starsky and Hutch. No, I don't know what this movie is. You don't? No. The best uh, review I read of it was titled, Chinese Alligators versus the Jet Ski Assassin. Wow. <laughs> it also has Joe Estevez, the least talented of the Estevez family in it. Wow. You don't know? No. Gator King okay. from 1997. One for me. <laughs> Ready for movie two? Yes. This is a 1988 movie. Okay. All right. And uh, Gemma Redgrave stars in this movie. She played Juno uh, Starling in this episode. Okay. She's Lynn Gre Redgrave's daughter, by the way. Yeah, we I didn't did know mention that. that. I did know that. Here's the synopsis of this fantastic 1988 movie. Okay. A young woman about to be married begins, ha begins having terrifying dreams about demons. When she wakes, however, the demons are real and begin to commit gruesome murders. Do you know who else is in this movie? No. From a review, there are some impressively gory makeup effects along the way, including a splattery decapitation, a juicy punch through the skull, and an ear yanked off. I've seen this movie, but I can't remember it. It's called Dream Demon, and it's the only horror movies from the 1980s to reference the Falklands War. <laughs> Most of the reviews say that it's a cheap British knockoff of Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, it sounds like it. So No, I don't think I have seen it. Man, I am two for three so far. Two for three. Mm -mm -mm. All right. I, I have to say, I think this third one is the gem, though. This okay. is the best. It's from 1981. Okay. And uh, Heather Wright is in this one, too. She plays Francesca Okay. Uh, in this episode. A crew of interplanetary archaeologists is threatened when an alien creature impregnates one of their members, causing her to turn homicidal and murder them all one by one. Okay, I've definitely seen this movie. <laughs> is it something 13? No. I think the poster has a big silver robot on it. No. No. Some of the reviews are fantastic. This is, this is, these are some of the titles. I didn't love it, but I seem to hate it less than other people. <laughs> I definitely have seen this movie. A ripoff of Alien that basically yeah. replaces the terrifying xenomorph with a mediocre short blonde woman. Yes, I <laughs> definitely have seen this movie. What is it called? All the music was done by former jazz musician John Scott on only a synthesizer. I've seen this movie, but I can't tell you what the title is. It is called Inseminoid. Inseminoid, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Definitely saw that movie. Apparently, 
The lead actor, whose last name is Clark, looks like he's about to start laughing in almost every scene. Like when an alien vampire is killing his colleagues, he looks like he's about to start giggling. So much so that as you go through the movie, the director obviously picked up on it and started like framing the scene so that you can't really see him. <laughs> like they only take one shot of every scene. They can't yeah. afford to do two. So if he starts laughing, they just have to cut it. Wow. <laughs> Adequate entertainment, a one-night stand with an alien goes wrong. That's another review. <laughs> it's also known as Horror Planet. Yeah, it, was it has released like as an horror. egg on the cover. No, it has a woman on her back with her legs up in the air. Oh, yeah. Like she's about yes, to give birth. Yes, yes, yes. Inseminoid. Inseminoid. I am three for three this three week. Three for three this Booyah. week. yeah. I win. You can find Midsummer Maniacs. Twitter, Instagram, and email, and on the reels, because you guys seem to like those. They're fun. So much. We did uh, one for this episode as a reminder. Also on the Facebook groups for Midsummer and Acorn and the subreddit and anywhere else you'll find Maniacs. And what do we have for next week? Next week is episode 120, which is season 20, episode four, The Lions of Coston, which is the rugby team. Yes, they do that. Awesome. Uh, Australian. Haka. Haka. Yeah. They, they, yeah. With, they stick out their tongue. That yep. And they yell. I love yep. that so much. That's so, it's so cool. It's so cool. So absolutely awesome. Yep. We go from uh, comic book conventions to football. Football. No, it's rugby. Not rugby. Football. Sorry. Oh, no. Oof, that's Ooh. bad. I don't get those two confused. It's rugby. It's rugby. All right. Until next time. Bye, maniacs. Bye, maniacs. I'm sure you'll cut all that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs>